It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, guys, you are Locked On Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am doing the All-22 review with the Q&A from the Falcons Week 9 loss to the Carolina Panthers. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, as usual, we are giving away the Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. I will come back to you in a little bit and, and tell you the details on how you can win that Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. Um, but I, I first want to say that, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a shift now um, as we, you know, LockedOnFalcons.com gets ready. Uh, you guys send in a lot of great questions every week when we do this Q&A and a lot of stuff with the film and whatnot. And, but uh, the last couple of weeks, I, I think these episodes have run a little bit long. And I think instead of sort of making the effort to answer every question on the podcast, what I will do in the future is I will answer select questions on the podcast with the goal of sort of keeping this episode to 30 to 45 minutes, as opposed to the, the hour that it has been a couple of times this season. And any remaining questions that I do not get to on the air, I will try to get to and answer on LockedOnFalcons.com. Um, as you're listening to this right now today, uh, that those answers to your questions are probably not up on that website, but certainly I will try every week to make a significant effort by Friday or Saturday to get that posted up there so that you guys can sort of get the answers to your questions before the next week's game. Um, and I'll, I'll let you guys know if there's sort of any sort of scheduling issues come up that sort of prevent me uh, from being able to do that. But again, I, I do really appreciate all the questions that you guys send me. I do want to make an effort to answer everybody's question, even some of the, the sillier ones that you guys ask me. Um, and, and certainly I will I'll definitely make an effort to do that in the future. And, and this week's will be the first one that is more of a protracted one because I, I probably got like 30 questions this week. And, and certainly I would be here for two hours trying to answer all of them as thoroughly and as uh, loquaciously as you guys know, I tend to do. So um, let's talk about the Pro Football Focus Edge giveaway. As you guys know, we, we give away a, a free subscription to Pro Football Focus Edge, uh, included in that our player grade, snap counts, position rankings, fantasy projections, tools and charts, draft coverage, and, and all that stuff that you come to love from Pro Football Focus. In order, the way that you win that is you go to Locked on Falcons on iTunes, you leave us a five-star review. If you leave your Twitter handle in the review, then you will be, one of you will be randomly selected at the end of each week to win that Pro Football Focus Edge a subscription, a $40 value for free. And, um, you know, you'll have access to all those things. If you do not win that subscription on a weekly basis, you can still catch all the great pro football focused content on the lockdown podcast network. Check out Mike Renner on lockdown NFL with Matt Williamson every Wednesday. You can check out Jeff Ratcliffe on lockdown fantasy with Vinnie Iyer every Thursday. 
So uh, let's get into it. Um, a lot of good questions. I might wind up skipping around just because I, I do want to try to keep this under 45 minutes, but uh, let's get into it. Uh, we got a bunch of questions from Charlie Rogers. He asked like 13 questions. I'm, I'm going to probably wind up picking like five of them, um, and I'll get to the other ones later this week. Um, his first question is, did it appear that Gabriel had, would have had the first down in the jet sweep on first and five he had cut inside instead of outside? Um, I, I would say, Charlie, uh, in a lot of instances, and, and this is sort of more directed at the general public, is one of the issues that you tend to have when you watch film or even when you're watching the games on television is that you, with that sort of elevated or bird's eyes view, it, it's easier for you to see things developing than necessarily for the players on the field. Um, and, and so I think it's easy to sit there and say, oh, yeah, man, Gabriel should have cut it up and he would have had more yards. Uh, because you can see where the linebacker and the safety are in, in, in relation to that. And necessarily, like, he doesn't see all those things and as quickly as, you know, all this stuff is happening in, in three to five seconds. Um, and, you know, maybe if he was a Devontae Freeman and, and a top-shelf running back, he would have a feel for those sorts of things. But I don't necessarily fault Gabriel for, you know, basically waiting for his blocks to develop. I think the bigger issue was the blocking. I think it really comes down to Toy Lolo not doing a good job maintaining his block on Thomas Davis, understandably, because it's Thomas Davis and it's Levine Toy Lolo. And I, I think if, if, if Toy Lolo does a better job uh, maintaining that block, then Gabriel doesn't really have to show this sort of Devontae level of anticipation and vision to, to sort of make hay in that situation. So I, I think it's more the blocking than the running. Charlie's next question. Did the personal foul on Hooper look bogus? I, I don't know. Like, does it even matter? Like, we didn't convert anyway. I don't really know the rule on how that applies. I don't really care what the rule is. They they threw the flag. It, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, the, the NFL, the Falcons sent something to the NFL um, this week to sort of get a clarification on the rule. And, you know, we'll find out, I guess, later if, if I care to read the rule book. Maybe I could figure it out myself, but I don't really care. Um, you know, I, I think if you're more upset with anything, it's the 40 yard play that the Falcons gave up to the Panthers on the ensuing series when they had the 15 yard unnecessary roughness penalty on, on Brian Poole tacked onto a 24 yard gain, uh, to, to Funches on a simple crossing route. So, you know, be mad at the refs if you want, but I, I think your, your, your anger is directed in the wrong direction, Charlie. Um, Charlie's next question, who had McCaffrey on the first touchdown pool or Allen? Based off of, you know, I'm, I'm only speculating here. I, I don't really know. And, and this is part of the problem with film watching. Unless you sort of know everything, you don't know. Um, I think it was actually Devondre Campbell. Based off of the initial movement, he sort of motioned to mirror McCaffrey on his movement outside. Um, and then sort of bit it back inside when, when Newton sort of faked the read option handoff to, to Stewart in that instance. Um, so I would guess, based off of that initial movement and the way Poole and Allen played it, at no point it seemed like either one of those guys were assigned McCaffrey in that situation. But if between those two, if it was one of those two guys that sort of played it poorly, I would wager it's Poole, um, but I don't really know. So I would say probably Campbell, possibly Poole. Probably not Allen in that instance, but either way, someone blew the assignment. So, we'll, we'll, you know, if I was if I was doing the stat thing, I would probably put equal blame on on Poole and Coleman or something like that. And, and Campbell, I'm sorry. Um, Charlie's next question: Was Hooper supposed to cross Adams' face on the pick? It appears Sanu was wide open for what could have been a touchdown. Well, 
Uh, Ryan threw it like he expected Hooper to flatten his route. Um, as for Sanu being open, yeah, he did sort of break open late on an out and up. But again, on a similar note to what I said earlier, the quarterback can only see what he sees. And, and you basically evaluate quarterbacks and their decision making based off of the initial coverage and their progressions and whatnot, as opposed to did he know in any given instance that this receiver would break open? You, you, you can only see what you can see in two and a half seconds. You, know, you, you can't process everybody on the field. So Sanu being open is whatever. Um, as for what, you know, Ryan in the Hooper play, I, you know, I think that was really a great play by Mike Adams. I think, you know, he read it beautifully. He ran to the spot he expected Ryan to throw it to. Unfortunately, Hooper seemed to be out of the loop. Uh, two out of the three players involved seemed to know where the ball was supposed to go. So I, I think that really is on more on Hooper. And I, I think that speaks to sort of his youth and the lack of rapport. And we'll touch upon this later because uh, someone has a, a question or a comment more specifically about Hooper. Um, and, and again, Mike Adams is a very experienced veteran. He's been in the league for 13, 14 years. He's, he's been able to, you know, he was primarily a journeyman in his, in his 20s and then sort of has been a journeyman starter in his 30s and been an effective one. Um, you know, I think that was a very underrated signing by the, the Panthers this offseason. And, uh, you know, the reason why he sticks around is because he's smart. And again, it, it speaks again to some of the criticisms that Ricardo Allen got last year and people thinking that, oh, great safeties are, are these athletic marvels when it's really the smart guys that last in the league, not necessarily the athletes. Um, Charlie asks, why not a sneak on third and a half yard on our first possession of the second half? Well, Charlie, why not a number of plays on that situation? I don't, I don't think the play call was the issue. I think it was the execution. Uh, Toilolo missed a block on Mario Addison in part because Hooper was late reacting off the snap and, and his guy Shaq Thompson was able to sort of collapse on Hooper and, and prevent him from being able to stay balanced and get leverage against Addison. You know, I think that issue was not the play call. I think it was execution. I, I think you could have, you know, any number of, I've said this a thousand times, but any number of plays can get you a yard. And, and so this idea that there was one perfect play that would have worked and, and, and 19 bad plays that wouldn't have worked, I, I think it's kind of foolish at this point. It, it was execution, not the play call. Um, Charlie asked, uh, the OPI no call was crap. I guarantee if it was DPI, it would have held up. Okay. I mean, sure. That's an opinion. Um, I didn't have a problem with the refs picking up the flag. It, it didn't seem like it was a particularly catchable pass um, just because it was it was a back shoulder throw as opposed to sort of the outbreaking plays that we saw with Marvin Jones in week three and, and with Julio last week against the Jets. Uh, I think that would have been a, a very tremendous catch if, if Clay would have caught that. So, um, you know, p- possibly o- OBJ level of amazing catches. So, I don't fault the refs for picking up that flag. Uh, it was a, it's a very inaccurate throw from Cam Newton. Um, Charlie asks, it looks like the Panthers got away with a few holding calls, particularly one on Burson on the screen and McCaffrey in the fourth quarter. What does the film say? I, I don't agree. I think that would have been the, the tickiest of the tic-tac flags that they could have possibly thrown. Um, you know, if it was a hold, it was a hold for like 0.3 seconds. And I think it didn't really affect Poole's ability to make the play. And generally that's why they call holds when it's very obviously blatantly obvious that it affects the defensive player's ability to make the play. Um, like he would have made the tackle, but because the guy got held, he couldn't make the tackle. That's usually when the refs throw the flag. 
And, you know, the, as they say, holding often occurs on every play. And so I, I don't, I didn't watch the film and, and see any sort of blatant holding calls. But then again, that's not necessarily something I'm, I'm locked in on when I'm um, reviewing the film. So it, it wasn't an issue to me. But if you saw other instances where it was very problematic, then I didn't see it. Uh, obvious DPI on the 4th and 13, correct? Obvious? No, I don't think... Again, I, I know this is going to sound like I'm just being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian, but I, I, I think these are more sort of ticky-tack, sort of depending on sort of how you lean and how you root determines whether you think they're flags or not. I think it was a bang-bang play that full speed and the angle that you're seeing, it's it's tough to see if the defender came early. When you slowed it down on replay, yeah, it did become a little bit more obvious. But I think at full speed, it wasn't one of those things where it's like, oh, how could you not throw the flag? It was just a bang-bang play, and they didn't, they didn't throw the flag. He got there a half, a half step too early. It happens. So, you know, I, I don't think Gabriel was going to catch it anyway. So part of the reason why I'm not necessarily over the moon thinking that was, oh, my God, how could they not call that? Because I don't think it really sort of affected Gabriel's ability to catch the ball. I'm sure Taylor Gabriel would disagree, but, um, you know, he wasn't necessarily, it was noticeable to me that he wasn't necessarily protesting the play afterwards from what I could see. Charlie's last point is, in my opinion, there are only two questionable play calls from this game. We lost the game because of missed opportunities on offense and not setting the edge on defense. Plus a couple of questionable officiating cards. What's your opinion? Yeah, I don't think the play calling, I would agree the play calling wasn't a major issue. Again, not great, but not certainly not bad. And, you know, C+. Plus. Um, I didn't see too many instances where I thought the Falcons did a poor job setting the edge against the run. I, it seemed like a lot of Carolina's success running the ball was between the tackles. So I don't quite agree with that. It, certainly there were some major plays where the Falcon, where the Panthers were able to run the ball outside um, and, 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 and make some plays. The McCaffrey touchdown, the reverse, and, and a, a couple of cam scrambles and whatnot. But I don't necessarily, it's because guys, quote unquote, failed to set the edge. I just think guys got caught looking on some misdirection plays. Um, and that happens, and that it's particularly happens when you have our linebackers who aren't necessarily, you know, I don't want to say they're dumb by any means, but uh, certainly aren't as mentally um, experienced as you would like from uh, linebackers. Um, and again, the, the officiating I thought was fine. It didn't necessarily stand out to me. Again, I think that's sort of, you know, fan bias and whatnot, you know, especially nowadays, like I've seen much more worse officiating games where I sat there and like, really, you didn't call that this season, this season with the Falcons. So it it didn't really bother me in any major way. But, uh, you know, as I said before on this podcast, I tend to give officials, a little bit more slack than your average fan does. All right, before we move on, of course, you guys know that when we review the All-22, the reason why you love the All-22 is you get to see every player in the field. You get all the angles. And the other best way of getting all the angles is being in the stadium itself. And if you want to be in the stadium, you got to buy a ticket. And you guys know where is the best, easiest way to buy tickets to sports and concerts. And that's, of course, with SeatGeek because SeatGeek is a better, simpler way. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. 
because with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. I have SeatGeek on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere and with just a few taps. I can instantly find seats. We had Mike on the show yesterday. He talked about getting down to that uh, Panther game or to a, a Falcon game later this season. And even though I don't intend to go to one uh, this year, it is if I do change my mind, it will be very easy to use SeatGeek to uh, make that purchase because SeatGeek is designed to make my ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves me time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get most bang for my buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help me immediately identify the best seats that fit my budget, which is very tight, but you can find cheap tickets on SeatGeek. Plus, every purchase on SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app to finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. It is certainly mine. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app. Enter promo code LONFL today. That's promo code LONFL for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of you, your favorite football team, what you wear to the playoff watch party, that song that you stream over and over to get you pumped up for the gym, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are best to listen to on a long road trip, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic ball cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you, makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you. And the ability to choose the plan you want by picking the options that fit you, like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies, is what the State Farm Personal Price Plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Uh, okay, we finished Charlie Rogers' question, so let's move on to the incomparable Evan Birchfield. Uh, Evan asks, on the first Ryan-Julio misconnect, what happened? Some said Julio slowed up. Some said Ryan overthrew him. Also, the Ryan Hooper interception Talked about the Ryan Hooper interception already. Um, on the first deep throw, it was I, I think it was more Matt Ryan overthrew him. I think he sort of threw it a little bit too far out in front of Julio in the middle of the field, um, as opposed to up the seam where Julio was sort of running his route. Um, and I, I, you know, generally speaking, on these on those deep throws, I, I'll generally say the quarterback throws it up and the, and the receiver's got to go and get the ball. But I think Ryan put a little bit too much air under it. And sort of had them and by throwing it over the middle of the field as opposed to up the seam, it made Julio have to do a little bit more extra work than he needed to to have to go and get the football. So I would put more of that on the quarterback era than the wide receiver era. I thought, you know, you didn't ask this question, Evan, but I did think the deep throw where Julio tripped, I think that was a, a good, well thrown ball. Obviously, the one that Julio dropped was a well thrown ball. I think both of those are instances that's wide receiver error. You know, the tripping is more incidental, so I can't necessarily blame Julio for that. But um, certainly the quarterback put the ball in the, in the right spot in both instances, in my opinion. So, I mean, we've seen three good deep throws from Matt to Julio the last two weeks. 
So it does seem like, you know, the football gods are, are more intervening um, with that inability to connect on those deep throws for Matt Ryan, at least in the last two games, than necessarily Matt Ryan just being off target like it was seemingly for the first six games. Okay, Riley asked, after years, Riley Street, I'm sorry, after years of the Saints defense being absolute trash, they sound like they are actually decent this year. They have to regress to at least somewhere between where they have been for several years and where they are now, don't they? I unfortunately was driving back from Wisconsin during the game on Sunday and thus had to take it in on the SX, um, Sirius X, um, I, I, couldn't, I can't read, um, Panther Station, oh my. So anyway, they made it sound like short of a few f- splash plays that you can't dismiss. Caroline pretty much enforced their will throughout the game. Is that is this truth or misconception based off the skewed lens they were looking through? No, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I think after the, you know, after the first quarter and a half, I think Carolina pretty much controlled the game. I, I, I think the Falcons, um, someone emailed me, I, I'm, I'm sorry I'm blanking on who emailed me. Um, maybe I'll look it up and we'll throw it in as an outtake. <laughs> but uh, someone emailed me and basically went on a little bit of a rant and basically said his assessment of the game was, uh, the Falcons had an opportunity, instead of framing it as the Falcons had an opportunity to win the game, they had more an opportunity to steal the game. And I think that's a fair assessment. I think Carolina's front seven was very effective at controlling the line of scrimmage on defense. I think the the misdirection plays really killed the Falcons with a lot of blown assignments and mental errors um, um, in their back seven. I think the Falcons' defense only really looked good when the defensive line was sort of playing well. Um, and being disruptive. And I think when the, the guys in the back, and mainly True and Alford, were sort of in tight coverage and, and breaking up throws and, and jumping routes and whatnot. Um, so, like, I, I don't really feel like the Falcons really played a, a great football game, but they certainly played good enough that with their strong start and with maybe two potential scoring drives at the end, they could have stole the game. But again, I, I think really, if you're looking at the Falcons' performance, they had a good first quarter. They had a decent fourth quarter. Um, arguably, it's certainly a better fourth quarter than the Panthers because I think the Panthers at that point sort of let things off the gas. And that's part of the reason why I think the no huddle talk of is a little bit overblown, but maybe I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but certainly in the second quarter and the third quarter, I think Carolina dominated the game. And it, I mean dominated the game. Um, and so I think outside the first quarter, you can't say the Falcons really dominated the game. Um, Riley's next question is Vic actually playing linebacker or is it just a paper uh, on paper again, like it has been in the past? No, Vic is actually playing linebacker. He he's playing defensive end in the nickel, but he is playing Sam linebacker in the base. Um, I'm, I'm guessing again, I don't know the numbers exactly because I I wasn't counting snaps and, and one of the one of the the one knock you can have on Pro Football Focus is they don't have necessarily a, or I, at least I haven't found it in terms of they play nickel this much and base this much in terms of their um, advanced stats and whatnot. But uh, I would guesstimate that you know Vic Beasy was playing Sam linebacker about fifteen to twenty snaps against Carolina. So yeah, he's legitimately playing linebacker. Um, Jay Bear at Joe Bear seventy four on Twitter asks, "What in the Sam Hill are they doing in the run game?" Um, like I said to to Mike yesterday, I think part of the problem was that they were hiding Devontae Freeman and they kept him on the pitch count. So they weren't able to sort of maximize their run game against Carolina. It was notable to me that in the first half, Devontae was successful on, on three or four first down runs. But particularly in the first quarter, I can't remember the number off the top of my head. I think I have it somewhere. 
Let me see if I find it. Yeah, on 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 first downs, the Falcons' run pass ratio was three to three to seven in the first quarter, and that that became a little bit balanced. Um, and I think I think I saw I didn't read the whole article, so I apologize in advance if maybe I, I'm misconceiving what he wrote. But I, I did see something from Allen on the Falcoholic saying it was it was a baffling decision for Sarkeesian to, after so much success early in the game throwing the football um, to sort of switch up to a run. And I think part of that is I don't quite agree 100 percent with that assessment. I, I understand where the, the sentiment is coming from, but I think part of it was they sort of. Right before they switched, if you go back and look at their last couple of runs, they had been feeding Devontae. And that was when the, the first point really in the game where they started getting Devontae involved in the game uh, midway through the second quarter. And he was doing a, an excellent job. Unfortunately, he only got one of those four opportunities that the Falcons ran the ball um, on those short yardage situations, starting with the, the Gabriel jet sweep and then followed by, I think, what, two runs by Coleman and, and then uh, a run by Devontae on fourth down. So, um, look, I, I think a lot of this, the, the issues with the run game has to do with Carolina's defensive front playing outstanding. I thought this was probably Matt, Alex Mack's worst game of the season. I think short, Latulule and Keekly gave him fits as you would expect from most NFL offensive linemen. But Alex Mack is of that caliber where you're like, he can handle those guys, he can take out those guys. But I don't think he really did. I think he had his worst game. I think Schrader struggled, particularly several times instances where Charles Johnson got the better of him out on the edge. I thought the tight ends had their fair share of missed blocks. I think Coleman had his problems uh, as a lead blocker in the game. Levitru and Schweitzer certainly had their instances where they got beat inside by those excellent D tackles. And I thought Jake Matthews, at best, I could say he was okay in his performance. Probably, from what I saw, had fewer breakdowns than the other guys. But um, that probably has less more to do with the quality of competition. Blocking Mario Addison um, is not as hard as blocking Charles Johnson and Julius Peppers. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's less about schematically they, they were having issues. I, I think it's more about... Um, Carolina has a legitimately good front and they can actually stop you from doing, you know, if you're a good running team, they can actually legitimately go toe to toe with you and stop you from running the football. Unlike the Falcons. Okay. Uh, we got a couple more questions, uh, but I, I do want to make note to you guys that uh, you guys can check out locked on Hawks with my good friend, Brad Roland uh, on the lockdown podcast network, as well as a host of other NBA shows. I know a lot of you guys are probably Hawks fans, but Pretty much every NBA team is represented in the Locked On Podcast Network. So if you if you care about NBA, then certainly stay locked on. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. All right, Dre Wells at BeamerBoy745 on Twitter asks, Do you think we could have utilized Freeman and Coleman more in the passing game? I, honestly, in this particular, I think that was a legitimate criticism in past in other recent games. But I don't think in this game, really, the expectation that Freeman and Coleman were going to contribute a lot more than they actually what they did. 
I don't think that's a realistic expectation. You go back to last season with the offense operating at peak efficiency, and you go back to those two Carolina games, Freeman and Coleman didn't have a huge, huge impact in that game. Most of their positive plays in the passing game came on checkdowns. And when there were times where Coleman sort of outraced the guy, outraced an angle and got a big game, or when Freeman sort of made a move underneath and, and sort of, you know, their individual effort, but it wasn't necessarily because of design. It was partially because of the Panthers sort of, disciplined zone heavy scheme which they'll give up the underneath stuff and then they'll make open field tackles unlike the falcons and so um it's one of those things where like i don't think you know i think it's not to say it's impossible for you to get the the running backs involved more in the passing game and and create some one-on-one opportunities for those guys on the outside but i don't think you could realistically expect, particularly if Shanahan wasn't really able to do it, that Sark would be able to figure it out. Um, you know, Freeman had a nice gain. I think the 14 yard gain at some point, I can't remember. I think it was early in the game when the Falcons offense was actually clicking. So it probably was in, in the first or second quarter where he beat Davis on an option route. Uh, Coleman scored on a screen pass. So again, I, I think both of what their contributions is about what you could expect matches anything they, they really sort of contributed last year and last year's offense, particularly against this Panther team. So again, I think against the Panthers, those guys being a major factor was probably not likely really when you want to attack the Panthers, you want to use your tight ends to sort of get behind those linebackers and underneath the safety with their zone heavy scheme, or use those wide receivers on the outside to sort of attack their cornerbacks. And, and that's where sort of if you're going to blame the play calling in any regard, which, I again, I don't think is necessarily that fair. That is more the issue from Sunday's game um, against Carolina than not getting those guys involved. Against the Jets, against the Patriots, certainly fair, very fair criticism, but not really against the Panthers. Dre's next question is, uh, what is your opinion of, of Sarkeesian short yardage calls, play calls during the game and why the freak can't the Falcons execute them? Um, yeah, I, I think it's more execution. I don't really have a major issue with his short yardage play calls. Yeah, I'm with sort of DQ on the play action, sort of third and one. Um, what was that, like in the third quarter? Uh, was probably not the ideal play call, but I don't know if it's because it was a bad play call or just Carolina just being a really good defense and they didn't really bite on it at all. So either it was a very predictable play call, which maybe, or it's just, I don't know how much of that is, oh, Carolina has a good defense, and so things that would normally work against other teams don't work against them because they're actually well-coached and talented and actually live up to their potential as opposed to another defense that I happen to watch on a weekly basis. Or it's because it was a bad play call and it was very predictable and they knew it was coming. So I don't I don't know where I fall on that. I, I'll generally just sort of side on, on the Carolina's defense is good as opposed – I know that's true as opposed to I don't really know, you know, how predictable it was. But certainly if I had to nitpick one of those play calls, it would have been that one more so than the other ones. I think the other ones is just simply Carolina won the line of scrimmage. You know, the the I think it was the – we talked about the Toilolo one. That was the third and one, I think. And then the, the second down one I think was Mack getting beat by Short. I think the fourth down call was Derek Coleman getting submarined by um, Kirk Coleman. And sort of those two players, sort of individual efforts, sort of blowing up those plays more so than uh, the Falcons made bad play calls or whatnot. So, I mean, obviously, again, 
truth be told, Devontae Freeman is money on, on short yardage. This season has been money for the most part in his career. And I think one of the issues the Falcons have is sort of with their sort of trying to use Coleman and, and Freeman interchangeably. There are too many instances that wind up biting them in the butt where Coleman's in the game, Tevin Coleman, that is. Uh, on those short yardage situations, which is not really his forte, when Freeman, that's really sort of his forte. Um, and like, part of me, like, I, I don't want, like, I, I haven't reached a point where I'm going to be like, no, don't give the ball to Tevin Coleman. Because I, I think what we saw against the Jets is the reason why you want to give the ball to Tevin Coleman, because if you feed him enough carries, eventually he's going to break a long one. But the problem is from an efficiency standpoint, Coleman is, is, and we talked about this with Mike, Coleman is, is far low below uh, Freeman this year. And there's been too many, there's been a, you know, Freeman has been very, as I said, in terms of his efficiency with success rate, every single week, I think the lowest success rate Freeman has had this year, I think it's like 44%. And it's been as high as like 67% or something like that. And every single week it's hovering. If you graphed it, it's just sort of hovering around 50%. Coleman is much more up and down. And he's had some good weeks where he's been just as efficient as, as Freeman has, particularly between like weeks three and and and, and six. Um, um, but you know, against Chicago, against Carolina, against the Jets, and, and against New England, his efficiency was much much lower than Devontae's was. And so that's sort of the boom bust nature of sort of getting both those guys involved. And and I, I don't envy Sark. I'll be hard-pressed to be overly critical of Sark in terms of how he's utilizing the running backs because I think that's something that's particularly hard. I've only ever really seen one offensive coordinator really find a way to balance that throughout my tenure of watching the Falcons, and it's not Kyle Shanahan, it's Greg Knapp when uh, he had Duckett and Dunn and Norwood and all those guys back in the day. And, and Knapp did that consistently throughout his stops prior to that with Garrison Hurst and, and Kevin Barlow in San Francisco and, and Oakland with Fargus and, and McFadden and all those guys. So um, like Shanahan's solution was, I'm just going to play this guy for three plays. I'm going to play this guy for three plays and I'm going to run similar and basic same plays for both guys. Not really the case, but somewhat and and sort of just use them interchangeably and I'm going to rely on the individual abilities of our of our guys to sort of stand up in our blocking to make it work and I think that worked for the the Falcons certainly last year I think it has worked mostly for the Falcons this year which is why their all running game has been so effective but there's been some games when there has been a very big disparity between when Freeman gets the ball versus when Coleman gets the ball but again, I'm I'm not nearly anywhere close to a point where I'm I'm going to be complaining like, oh my God, why are they giving Tevin Coleman the ball? Like, give Tevin. I want Freeman and, and Coleman to both get. I want Freeman to get 20 touches. I want Coleman to get 15 touches a game, really. So I'm not going to really ever complain about either one of those guys touching the football. That's just something is not good unless it's like a really blatantly, obviously bad play call. That's just like, what are you thinking? But generally speaking, I don't think I've complained about any one of their times they've gotten the ball this year. Maybe maybe I'm forgetting something. Uh, Dean Sabrizi, uh, do you think the team should reach out to Tammy? Hooper has cost us a lot this year. I feel I don't feel like he's ready. No, I don't think the team should reach out to Tammy. 
Um, I don't think the, to me the biggest issue with Hooper in, in the tight end position it hasn't been the lack of ability in in the passing game. Even though Hooper's had some signature drops the last two weeks, and and sort of you know was the the goat on the scapegoat on the, on the interception. Um, I don't think the issue has been the tight ends in the passing game. Really, I think the issue has been more the tight ends not being able to block, and and that's really sort of bit the team in the butt a lot of times. In in sort of the, how good, how effective those two guys were last season. You know, Hooper shocked me with how effective he was as a blocker, and and certainly Toilo probably had his best season as a blocker last year. And and sort of we sort of assumed, oh, that would just continue, and 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 it really hasn't. Um. But yeah, you know, specifically in terms of like Hooper, like I, I think, look, you guys probably can guess where I'm going to fall on this because we've talked about this multiple times on this podcast over the last couple of months. But I, I think the hype on Hooper was too high. And now I think the backlash against Hooper has been way too harsh. Like, I just think people's expectations for what Austin Hooper was going to be in, in 2017 were just completely out of whack. Y'all came in to the season way too much on that Hooper hype train. And and now that it hasn't, you know, it's sort of ground to a halt and, and derailed, so to speak. Now you're like, let's burn the city down, and, and how dare how dare you not live up to my ridiculous expectations for you in your second NFL season? Um, and and so I, I don't get that. Um, you know what I'll say about Hooper in a nutshell. Um, I think part of the reason why the Hooper hype train got out of control is because I think a lot of people were sort of looking at the Falcons offense and trying to make justifications for why the offense would continue to be great and and progress. And you couldn't necessarily no nobody with half a brain would really look at DeMarco and Chester's absences and say, Oh yeah, this Derek Coleman guy who's a below average starting fullback in Seattle for three years and Wes Schweitzer, this green six round pick who didn't play a single snap last year are going to be significant upgrades there. But the only place that you could sort of sink your teeth in was in the tight end position because there was a couple of stats out there that said Hooper was really efficient for, you know, the handful of snaps that he played last year. And we saw flashes like in the Super Bowl when he caught that touchdown against Patrick Chung. People forget that that was the second play where they tried to go one-on-one with Hooper. So it's like, you know, damned if you, you know, one worked and one didn't. And you all just assumed that moving forward, they would all work, not forgetting that 50% of the time they didn't work. But um, I, I think, you know, for me, again, it was one of those things going into the season with with Ryan having Julio, Sanu, Gabriel Freeman, Coleman, Hooper was really going to be only the sixth best option, the sixth option for Matt Ryan to throw to. This idea that he would sort of jump some of those guys and, and be a preferred option over some of them, I think, again, was unrealistic expectations. You look at last year, even when he was starting for Tammy, remember he started the season as a third string tight end guys. Like people forget that fact. And then when he came in, he wasn't really that effective as a starter uh, outside of a couple of flash pl- splash plays here and there. And a lot of them were sort of misdirection and blown coverages. Um, you know, even if you factor in those, those five guys I just named, and then throw Algic Robinson for most of last season, even as a starter, he was like the seventh option in the offense. And this idea that he would become this top 10 tight end this year, I think was just people jumping on this hype train. Now, the interesting thing is you look at Hooper's numbers and you say, oh, well, you know, in yards per game this year so far through halfway through the season, he's 10th 
in in the NFL among tight ends. Um, so he's he actually is performing like a top ten tight end. And I see, I told you so. And it's like, well, I mean, a lot of that is really inflated by that Chicago Bears game where you know he took advantage of again two blown coverages uh, by the Bears and, and sort of maximized those plays. Um, but you know, in the seven games since, you look at his yards per. Uh, game, he would be 22nd among tight ends, right in line with some young tight ends like O.J. Howard averaging about 29 yards per game. O.J. Howard, George Kittle, Gerald Everett, all those guys are sort of hovering in that 25 to 30 yards per game range. Again, so like outside of that Bears game, Hooper's been a sort of a below average starting tight end by league standards. And again, why people thought he would be more than that. Like again, I, I think people sort of got on this hype train, not to go too far on this tangent, but Hooper got in this hype train like, oh, he's going to be a Zach Ertz, he's going to be a Gronk, he's going to be a Jason Witten, a Jordan Reed type of guy. And it's like, why do you think that? Like, when you evaluated Hooper at, at Stanford, you didn't see a guy that separates from coverage. Like, he, when he wins, he wins because he wins in traffic, because he's bigger, stronger, and better than these guys. And when you project that to the NFL, it's not he's not going to go up against, like a Jordan Reed can go up against literally any linebacker in the league and beat him in one-on-one coverage. That's the same thing. That's the reason why Gronk is so good, right? And, and Kelsey is so good. Like, they can go up against anybody in the league and beat them in, in man coverage. They are matchup nightmares. Hooper's not that guy. He's more of a Kyle Rudolph type of guy, which is he's big and he can make some plays, um, but really it's going to be come down to quarterback rapport and trust. And and like we saw in the Super Bowl when he beat Patrick Chung, when Matt Ryan went to Hooper, Hooper twice in a row, it was this guy's one-on-one. It's not because he's open. It's because I can throw the ball to a spot and he can make the play. And and that's really sort of what Hooper is going to be in the NFL when he reaches his full potential. And again, again, where I sort of disagreed with a lot of people was thinking that he was going to come in in his second year with half a season of starts under his belt and be that guy immediately and hit the ground running and be that guy. It takes time to build rapport. Like Julio Jones and Matt Ryan really didn't get a strong rapport until about a year and a half into Julio's career, right? It, it, it was really sort of Roddy was the go-to guy, right? And, and but even if you go back to 2009, Matt Ryan and Tony Gonzalez's rapport really didn't sort of really hit the, the ground um, until maybe that Jets game. Was that like week 13, week 14 or something like that? Um, so it's one of those things where it's like a lot of it was Matt Ryan trying to force the ball to Tony Gonzalez and, and working on it. And that's Tony Gonzalez. That's arguably the greatest tight end of all time, depending on how you feel about Rob Gronkowski. Um, so again, I, I think only time is going to tell with Hooper. I think he has the potential to be a very big asset and be the sort of the de facto number two receiver, the Jason Witten to the Des Bryant here in Atlanta, so to speak, or, um, you know, the Travis Kelsey to the Tyrant, that's not a good analogy. But, um, yeah, so, like, um, I think it, it will work, but I think it's going to take time. And I think people expecting him to be that guy this year, I think, was foolhardy. So, you know, I apologize for lecturing you guys. But, uh, yeah, I think this is, we can chalk this up more to bad expectations. Okay. Um, we want to wrap things up. Um, and um, I do want to wrap things up with one more sort of rant that I want to go on. And I, I, you know, this is where I really disagree. And this is why I'm a lot more critical of the Falcons defense than other people are. Because I think when you go back and you watch the game and you you see the number of missed tackles and the blown assignments and sort of, to me, this 
to me, it's nothing more than a myth that the Falcons have a good defense. I, again, I don't want to make it sound like I think the Falcons defense is bad or trash or anything like this. But to me, a lot of people, I think, you know, not to sound overly pretentious and, and like a, too much like a film snob, but I think a lot of people sort of look at the box scores and look at the scoreboard and say, see, the Falcons defense gave up this many points or this many yards and 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 and, and this means that they're good. They're looking at paper and sort of crowning them and using paper to justify it. And I think when you actually go back and you rewatch the games and you actually go back and see why did the why did the the Panthers get this 40 yard play or this 30 yard player or, or this 15 yard play or whatever. The only conclusion that you can come away with is that this defense is very much at best a work in progress. They have talent, they're young and Mike talked about this. And so, you know, it's, it's hard for, you know, I, at the same time, when I say you guys need to cut Hooper some slack, he's only a second year player with not a lot of experience at the same time. I do think it's fair that I probably should cut particularly our linebackers a little bit more slack because they're they're second year players. My issue with the linebackers is really twofold. I think with Deion Jones, my biggest issue with Deion Jones was he was guessing too much in his run fits last year and was missing run fits. And he was a little bit underwhelming at the point of attack when it, it came to dealing with blocks and trash. And I haven't seen enough growth from him this year. And that's why he caught so much of my ire earlier in the season. Now, I will say this. Since the New England game, I've seen him make improvements in that area in terms of being more physical, taking on blocks in the hole and and attacking blockers and whatnot, and not doing as much guessing as I thought he was doing through the first five games of the season. So I'll cut Deion Jones some slack. I think he's progressing. The guy that has been really catching my ire these last three weeks has been Devondre Campbell. I think he's really been a liability at times. I think one of the reasons why the Patriots were so successful running the football against us because they were playing us in nickel. And and the real knock on Campbell last year was his inability to make quick reads and, and quick decisions. And one of the reasons why the move to strong side linebacker would, would help him. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I think his play has dipped the last three games and he's been playing a lot more weak side linebacker. I don't think that's a coincidence. But it's really been those two guys, that, to me, their biggest weaknesses and their Achilles heels. I haven't seen enough growth from those guys in those areas. And I do, it makes me question whether we will not see significant growth. Jones was not a very physical player at LSU. It was one of the reasons why I did not like the, the pick. It was one of the reasons why I was very skeptical of Dan Quinn and company's choice to basically say, we can't coach speed, but we can coach tackling. And watching the Falcons still struggle with tackling still seems to be very problematic. Jones has been one of the bigger culprits there with several missed tackles in this Panthers game. And Campbell, the instincts and whatnot, still seeing him being slow on the instincts is one of the reasons why I'm so in love with Vic Beasley's move, because I don't think Vic Beasley's going to suffer from questionable instincts. He certainly had ups and downs in this game and made some some poor reads. But I, I do think, you know, at this point in time, like, you know, again, maybe it's my bias again projecting forward. But I, I think, you know, you give him more a couple more weeks of reps and, and by 2018, I think he's going to be light years better than, than Campbell is. Uh, if he continues to work at it and the, and the Falcons continue to work him there. Um, and so like to sort of get to the point of this rant, I think when you go back and you watch the game and, and when people say things like, oh man, it's not the defense's fault that they're on the field constantly. It's the offense's fault for not sustaining drives. And I'm like, no, it is the defense's fault because when you actually go back and watch the film, you see the defense making mistakes. And the reason why they're having these teams are having success with these extended drives. It's not because the offense can't maintain offense. It's because the defense 
keeps making mistakes, keeps shooting themselves in the foot and keeps screwing up and, and making and causing themselves. They're their own worst enemy. I said this in the Super Bowl, and this was a, a point of contention. You go back to that, what was like a 15-play drive in the second quarter, and why was it a 15-play drive instead of a five-play drive? Because the defense had like three consecutive third-down penalties that led to the Patriots getting a new set of downs and extending that drive, and it contributed greatly to them having to play an excessive amount of snaps by the end of the game. The other issue and with this Panthers game, like let's you talk about the opening play drive of the third quarter, and like the the Panthers get to midfield, and you see Claiborne beat Khalil for a sack. He gets sacked on on Cam Newton on first ten, first and ten, and and it's about thirteen minutes to go in the quarter, right? But because of Deion Jones gets called for a holding penalty against McCaffrey, that sack gets wiped out. So instead of a, a second and 16 with 12.51 to go, it's first and 10. Then McCaffrey gains six yards on a run up the middle. Then Campbell is asleep at the wheel on a draw play by Cam uh, that gets nine yards, and it gets them another first down. And, and if you guys want are curious, DJ Shockley breaks down this play for the Falcons website this week on his film review. So go check out YouTube or, or AtlantaFalcons.com to see that play specifically. Um, then the Panthers run a reverse. And again, I think Campbell does a poor job staying at home. And, and this may speak to what Charlie was talking about, guys doing a poor job setting the edge on a, a reverse to, to Russell Shepard that gets 11 yards. Then finally, when the Panthers are at the 25-yard line, Reed puts a nice spin move on Matt Khalil and Beasley gets the cleanup sack, and it's just under 10 minutes to go. And, and so they're back to where they were. And so essentially what happens is the Panthers get 25 yards and, and bleed off an extra three minutes of clock in that situation. Not because the offense couldn't sustain. The offense has nothing to do with that. That has everything to do, in, in this specific case, our linebackers, and again, one of the reasons why I get so upset with our linebackers, is it has everything to do with our linebackers not being able to make plays or the defense not being able to make plays. And it's really only because of the positive plays of, of the, the front guys to sort of bail them out and make the plays and get the pressure and get the sacks that really our defense is getting stopped. And so what ends up happening is you could have had the, a punt in that situation, but instead the, the Panthers wind up getting a field goal and everybody's sitting there saying, plotting, oh man, the defense only gave up three points. How can you hate them on that? And then see, that's part of my problem is you're not paying attention to the actual game of football. You're just looking at the box score and you're going off and saying, oh, only giving up three points is a, is a positive thing. They shouldn't have given up any points on that drive. That's three points that they had no business giving up. That's three minutes of, of a, that's an entire offensive possession that got taken away from the offense just because Guys couldn't get off the field, and guys kept screwing up, right? And then you go back to the next drive on, on in the third quarter. The first play is a 33-yard gain of Funches on an in-route against the Falcons cover three. And Deion Jones peels off his man, is in a position to make an open field tackle. He misses the tackle, right? And Funches is able to gain another 11 yards off of that play. You know, they give up a 19-yard play to Shepard, but... Thankfully, you know, two plays later to, to Shepard, and thankfully an illegal formation penalty on the Panthers wipes that play out. And so then later on they convert the fourth and one on the sneak, and, and thankfully again Grady Jarrett wins uh, on the ensuing first down, beats his block, and along with Brooks Reed, who's unblocked on that play, they get a tackle for loss against Jonathan Stewart for a minus five, and that pushes the Panthers back. And again, the defensive line, when they make plays, positive things happen. But unless this defensive line can dominate games, and unfortunately they did not do a good enough job on Sunday, I'm not mad at the defensive line. I, I think, you know, I, I think 
you know, while they are by no means superb, and I certainly think there's going to be a priority again to sort of upgrade that in the offseason, and, and probably the Falcons should invest a little bit more in that than just signing Don Terry Poe and Jack Crawford. No offense to those guys. But um, it's one of those things where I, I just look at it and I'm saying, like, this is the problem with the defense, is they're giving up these extended drives, not because the Falcons is offense is unable to sustain drives. That's part of the problem, but it's certainly not the central problem. And so, again, I'm not trying to sit here and pile on defense, but we got a question from somebody, and I'll probably go more in-depth to this on on the website, LockedOnFalcons.com, but someone asked about sort of Dan Quinn, you know, never addressing the offense and always talking about defense. And part of the reason, I think, is because he's a defensive coach, and that's part of the reason why I'm putting so much more emphasis on the defense having to step up the rest of the way. We've had Dan Quinn now for three years. We can't sit here and say it's not because they're talented. It's because they're too young. Okay, I guess, if, if that's going to be the case. But it's like at a certain point, that youth has to turn in, into experience and production. Like Carolina had a young defense back a couple of years ago with Luke Keekley and, and Starla Tule and Koan Short and all those guys. It didn't hurt them all that much, did it? Josh Norman. Right, all those guys were in their second and third years and whatnot, and they were a top five defense. Why can't we have that? Right? Why can't we? And so, like, it's one of those things where it's like I'm I'm putting a lot of pressure on Dan Quinn. He's a defensive minded coach. You got to get this defense to step up. You're going to leave this offense to your own devices. You did it in 2015. It wound up working out for you because Kyle Shanahan in 2016. Right? But he's not he's not going to know how to draw up the play. He's not going to sit there alongside Raheem Morris and Steve Sarkeesian and start drawing up game plans and, and being like, "This is how we're going to beat the Dallas Cowboys and this is how we're going to attack." That's not his. That's not his forte. He's a defensive coach. He's an he's an effort toughness. All that sort of stuff, guy. He's not to say that he's uh, not a good play caller. We saw that last year towards the end. He he made the proper adjustments. He's got to make the proper adjustments, or he's got to coach these guys up. I don't know what's going to happen, but something's got to give. This defense, we got to get more out of this defense, guys. I know they're the lesser of the two evils right now with the Falcons. I know the offense is far more problematic than the defense, but. This team is not going to make the playoffs if this defense can't play at a higher level. If we play again like we played against Carolina, where we can't stop the run against a team that's not a great run-stopping team, you think you're you think Dallas is going to take it easy? Seattle, Minnesota, Tampa Bay is going to take it easy on us. New Orleans, you think Alvin Kamara is going to take it easy on us? Like this schedule is not going to get any easier, guys. And so again, I'm done with my rant at this point, but I really do think. If this defense can't elevate to another level for the next eight games, again, we're going to be sitting here watching at home. And I hope I hope what the players were telling the Mike yesterday, it's like we're going to get there. They're confident. They're, they're, they're not giving up right now. And so I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to that. The Rico Allens and the Keanu Neals and the Deion Joneses of the world can go out there and start playing at a higher level. And that's why I put so much pressure on these guys to have to step up because they have to. I don't expect Steve Sarkeesian to be able to figure it out, right? He, he ain't got it, right? I mean, that's, that's really, we're just sort of hoping and praying that the season gets over with, the defense steps up, and, and we can hire Gary Kubiak. I mean, I'm not a pro, let's fire Sark guy, but like at this point, that's really my only sort of saving grace. Maybe he figures it out, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm completely wrong, and, and maybe all those people that stress patience and whatnot will wind up being proven right in the end. But at this point in time, I'm just waiting for 2018 with the offense for Gary Kubiak to come or, or somebody else to come and replace Sark. But defense, 
I think they got a shot at, at turning this thing around in season, and they have to do a better job with their assignments. They have to do a better job with tackling, like the misdirection plays, the the poor tackling, all these sort of things. It's youth and and softness. That's the that's the bottom line. They're too young. They're too soft, apparently, in my opinion, and it shows on the field almost on a weekly basis, with the exception of the Jets game, and and that's been problematic. It's not going to get any easier. You think Drew Brees is going to take it light, lightly on us, right? Uh, you think Zeke Elliott's going to take it lightly on us? So that's it, guys. Uh, I hope you appreciate. I hope you appreciate. It. I hope the rant didn't get too crazy out of there. I just, I just think people are. Last year, people were crowning the defense far too earlier than they needed to be. I think people are making the same mistake this year, primarily because the offense is a bigger problem, which I agree hundred percent with. But at a certain point, you can't just keep giving the defense credit for being better than the Falcons' offense. And like saying, oh, that makes them good. Like you saw, watch the game. I'm guaranteeing, watch the game and watch Carolina's defense and watch how they played the Falcons offense, this prolific Falcons offense, and shut it down for, what, three quarters of the game, two-thirds of the game. That's a good defense. When did the Falcons do that against the Panthers? In the first quarter? On two series in the first quarter? That's it? Come on, man. Come on. It's not even close. So using the term good with defense in, in, in saying those two terms apply to both teams, Carolina has a good defense and Atlanta has a good, if, if Atlanta has a good defense, then Carolina has the greatest defense to ever walk the face of the earth in comparison. Watch the games, guys. Watch the games. And if you don't know, you better ask somebody. All right, guys, that's it. <laughs> I'm done with my rant. <laughs> Added on another 10, 15 minutes of this episode by ranting and raving about the defense, as I often do. But uh, just watching the All-22 just sort of confirmed it for me, a lot of the things I've been saying. I'm hard on defense. I don't deny that. I, I promise you I'm, I'm going to wrap this thing up soon. But I understand uh, I certainly am harder on the defense than most. But I, I think a lot of people aren't hard enough on this defense. And they just say, oh, look at all the talent and look at all the tackles and look at all the interceptions and the past breakups. That means they're playing good, right? No, it's not. They should have twice as many of those plays than they actually have. And that's why they're not playing well because they're getting numbers, they're padding their stats and whatnot, but they're not making as many plays as they need to be to be a good defense. Now I'm done. I'm done. I promise you, no more ranting. No more ranting. I've gotten it all out. Until next week, until Zeke Elliott destroys his defense, then I will rant again next week. Maybe I won't. Maybe they'll actually show up. Who knows? If you want to get in your questions and comments, again, uh, my Twitter handle is Falcons. Let me know it's podcast-related. Best way of getting at those podcast-related questions, comments, and, and critiques is tweeting at the show's Twitter handle, Locked on Falcons. Of course, Twitter has character limits. I know they're expanding to 280, so probably it's not going to be as big an issue moving forward, even though I know Charlie Rogers and others have those long rants that certainly will not fit in in 280 characters. But uh, if that is the case for you as well, then you can also email me at LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com, where there are no character limits. Also, no character limits on Facebook. Locked on Falcons is the Facebook page. Give us a like while you're there. Also, again, uh, FalcFans.com, you can leave a comment there. That's what the show is posted daily and yes lockedonfalcons.com will be posted be coming at you with updated content uh, in the very soon near future uh, probably within 24 to 48 hours of you listening to this podcast so definitely check that out and, and keep up to date bookmark it do whatever you can refresh it um, all that you can um, and additional content including if you ask the question 
on this episode, and I did not answer it specifically, I will get to it specifically on LockedOnFalcons.com in, in the coming days and as we move forward to the rest of the season. So I said 45 minutes. I went on a, a, a rant, so we're, we're approaching an hour. So uh, congratulations, guys. You, you made it through another long-winded Q&A, but uh, I got it all out. And, and we'll be back hopefully tomorrow. Um, might have to sort of fix the schedule, but hopefully tomorrow we'll be back with our crossover pod previewing the Dallas Cowboys. And there's a chance that we may have to push it again like last week to Friday. And if that's the case, then I'll try to bring on somebody else to talk Falcons and whatnot with you. Um, probably won't be a fan talk this week. Right now, that's not the plan. I'm hoping I can sort of swap that with something else special that you guys may may enjoy. Um, but we'll see. No promises. But certainly stay locked on. Hopefully the Falcons rise up. And, and even though you guys... I appreciate you guys for being my brothers and sisters um, in in staying in this brotherhood as you uh, listen to these rants and whatnot. So see you guys tomorrow. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.